first reading tonight comes from Psalm 41, which is on page 509 of your church Bibles. Happy is one who cares for the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak maliciously about me. When will he die and be forgotten? When one of them comes to visit, he speaks deceitfully. He stores up evil in his heart. He goes out and talks. All who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Lethal poison has been poured into him, and he won't rise again from where he lies. Even my friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. May Yahweh, the God of Israel, be praised for everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Second reading comes from John chapter 13. It's on page 992. Starting from verse 1, chapter 13. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them in the, uh, with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. That is why he said, you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know, the one, I know those I have chosen. 
but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, I assure, I assure you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, He is the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Therefore Jesus told him, What you're doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he told him this. Since Judas kept the money back, some thought that Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jess. Good to see you. My name's Paul. You haven't met. We're back in John's Gospel. It's good to be back here. Uh, when I have faith us. Uh, Lord, we have so much to be deeply thankful for, for your daily mercy and your daily grace, for the way that you bless us uh, beyond what we deserve Thank you for a building to meet in. Thank you for chairs to sit on. Thank you for the scriptures in our own tongue. Thank you for musicians and sound operators and for greeters. And we now pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would do a mighty work in this building tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who know me know that I love singing. I love music. I've often got songs on my brain for the whole week two songs on my brain this week. One is the, the play song tune that you probably don't know. I hope you know this song. It's called Jesus Paid It All. You know that song? It's extraordinary. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. As I sat down to, to prepare to preach this week, this is the song that came into my mind. That, that Jesus, look at it, he paid it all. See that word All. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, past, present, future, Jesus covered that at the cross of Calvary. Isn't that extraordinary? The Lord Jesus Christ has paid for everything so that you can be perfectly purified, completely clean, fully forgiven, and totally, totally washed. That's extraordinary. And if you grasp it, then, then all to him you owe. He should be your everything. He should be your Lord, your Savior, your friend, uh, the one that you live for, because you owe everything to him. Now, I love how descriptive uh, this song is. Now, sin had left a crimson stain. It's that picture of, you know, 
Max's got a nice white T-shirt on and someone comes out over, over supper and squirts some tomato ketchup onto him and you've got this nasty, filthy stain on that pure white shirt and you try to have a conversation with him but all you can see is this dirty stain on his T-shirt. And do you ever think of yourself like that? That, that your sin, that your rebellion, your, your greed, your hatred, your selfishness, your pride, your lust, your envy, your bitterness... It's like a filthy bloodstain on your supposedly pure heart. That's your sin. It's a crimson stain that you can't wash, that you can't clean. So what do you do? You go to Jesus. You go back to the cross. What does it say? He washed it white as snow. It's not just the detergent. He's actually washed you and made you perfect again. Clean. Fully forgiven. And that's the glory of the gospel, isn't it? That's why you're here, because of the blood of Jesus. We've sung about it. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why we sing, oh, precious. How beautiful is that flow of blood from the, from the head and from the hands of Jesus and the side of Jesus that washes you and cleanses you most glorious truth. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 verse 5 says, we've been set free from our sins by his blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. His blood cleanses you. The blood of Jesus washes me. I'm I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm a sinner. And I've been completely cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You ever heard of a man called uh, William Cowper? He's a hymn writer. He's a man who suffered greatly, had deep depression. And he felt the weight of his sin in, in a way that I don't think we do today. He felt guilty the whole time. Shame, sorrow. And he wrote this wonderful hymn. We're going to sing it later on tonight. There's a fountain filled with blood flowed from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's the picture, you know, of diving into the swimming pool. You come back up and the water is flowing over you. You dive into the blood of Jesus and you come back up again and you're covered and you're clean and you're fresh and you're forgiven. That's been my prayer, my longing for you this week that you might live out this glorious truth that you are fully forgiven, totally cleansed, perfectly pure because of the blood of Jesus. And you, know, you can spot people in church who have grasped this truth. How do you spot them? There's this, there's this confidence about them. Not, not an arrogance, but this, this certainty, this grateful certainty that they're in Jesus and so they're not condemned. But more than that, there's this humility about them that is so refreshing. You see, most of our society are egotistical. And some of our church are egotistical. Me, 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 me. But somebody who finds their security and their identity in the blood of Jesus 
There's no me, no self-promotion, no self-glory, no pride. No, I'll only serve in church if I'm up front and I get all the glory. Instead, there's this quiet, gentle, humble, servant heart. And I do see it in people in this service. The the person who is often the last person to leave on a Sunday night. Why? Because he's been vacuuming the floor and stacking the chairs. A humble, quiet servant. Uh, The lady who spent Monday night cooking scones for our Tuesday morning women's Bible study. No one saw her do that. Why did she do that? She wanted them to have this glorious morning around God's word together. The people who uh, go down to Greenway and to just to sit and have a cup of tea with those wonderful people who live there. No one sees them doing that. Why do they do that? Because they're serving their saviour. I could list all these people who serve so selflessly. Why do you do it? Because you're serving your Lord Jesus. And I'm just thinking this week, how this church would look so different if we all grasp this one truth, that if you've bathed in the blood of Jesus, if you know that you're forgiven in Jesus, you want to serve other people. Your heart is, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do for you? Anyone here remember the old daggy song, The Servant King by Graham Kendrick? We sang it in the office on Wednesday. I tried to persuade Dan to sing it tonight. He wouldn't do it tonight. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. What's the next bit? To give our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. What's, what's the last verse? I love the last verse. So let us learn how to serve. Let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer. It's Christ we're serving. Imagine that kind of church. Each other's needs to prefer. How can I serve you? How can I love you? What can I do for you? What do you need for me so I can serve my Savior in that way? We're in John 13. It's a famous story, a familiar story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And, and you know, this event, this Activities repeated every single year in the Vatican City. On Maundy Thursday, the, day, the Thursday before Good Friday, uh, the Pope uh, gets off all his robes and he, 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 he acts as a humble servant and he gets a basin and he washes the feet of priests and ordinary people. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's moving. It's memorable. It's so humbling. There's so much to commend that. But this story is much more than just once a year washing people's feet. This story is all about the cross of Christ. It's like a visual aid to what Jesus is going to do for you and for me at Calvary. Verse 1, before the Passover festival. So we're here to remember God's redemption, God's rescue. We're in the upper room, a private meal between Jesus and his disciples. It's called the Last Supper. Verse 1, Jesus knew his hour had come. The hour for what? The hour for for his death. Jesus knows he's about to die. That's the context of this event. 
And look down to verse 7. Jesus answered Peter, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will. What's the afterward? After his death, after his resurrection. Then you'll understand that this washing of feet is more than just washing dirty, filthy feet. It's a visual aid for the the total cleansing that Jesus offers you as he sheds his blood for you. Let's read the story. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew his hour had come. He knows everything. Nothing takes him by surprise. Having loved his own, it's a beautiful verse, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the end of his life. Jesus loved them utterly. He loved them to the nth degree. It's an extraordinary, extravagant love. He's about to love them enough to death. And just so you grasp how extravagant this love is, who is sat around that table that night? Judas, the man who's going to betray him. And he loves Judas enough to wash his feet. Against that backdrop of betrayal, the love of Jesus just shines so brightly. And now by the time of supper, verse 2, the devil, Satan, had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. Jesus knew he had all power. He could do anything. So what do you think the the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-loving Son of God is going to do? What do you expect him to do? Do you expect verse 4? The eternal Son of God, the Christ, the King, the Messiah, he got up from supper, took off his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself, took on the form of a servant, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Isn't that the most extraordinary picture of humility? The Son of God, the creator of the universe, your king is stooping low as a slave and washing dirty, filthy feet. And just so you grasp how humiliating this is. They didn't have tarmacked road to keep your feet clean. They didn't have cars that you could drive in to keep your feet clean. You walked everywhere on dirty, filthy, muddy, dusty roads full of animal poo that you would tread in regularly. They didn't have closed shoes that will protect your your precious feet. They had open-toed sandals. As you walked along your street, your feet would stink and your feet would smell and they would look dirty, they would look filthy. I don't know whether you like seeing other people's feet up close and personal. But Jesus, the Son of God, is there on his hands and knees with dirty, filthy feet. And what's he doing? He's humiliating himself. He's humbling himself to wash the feet of his followers. It reminds me of Philippians 2, 
And then Philippians 2 where Paul says, Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but took on the nature of a, of a servant. That's Jesus. And if you were around the table that night, how would you feel? embarrassed what are you doing Jesus I reckon that's the the tone of Peter in verse 6 Simon Peter asked Jesus Lord are you gonna wash my feet Lord this is the wrong way around I'm here to serve you and Jesus said I didn't come to be served but to serve and Peter said in verse 8 You will never wash my feet. I will never allow you to humble yourself like that, Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 8, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. That's the key verse, my friends. Unless you allow Jesus to wash you, unless you allow Jesus to serve you and to cleanse you and to forgive you, you have no part with him. That, that, that word language of part with me is a language of inheritance. It's a language of blessing. Unless you humbly come to Jesus and let him cleanse you, you have no inheritance. You have no blessings. You have no eternal life. And Peter, the man of extremes, has gone from, you will never wash my feet in verse 8, to, well, well Lord, wash the whole of me. Not just my feet, but my head and my hands. I want to be completely clean. And Jesus says in verse 10, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. He's saying, you know, when you came out of the shower that morning, you are totally clean. It's just that your feet got a bit dirty. So just wash your feet. But you're completely clean. But not all of you, because there's one who will betray me. His name is Judas. That's the event. It's the most humbling humiliating event in history that the Son of God would wash your feet. Why does he do that? Well, he tells you down in verse 14. Verse 12, he says, do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I'm doing here? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, that is right. I am the Messiah, I am your rabbi, I am your master. Here's the application, you don't need a PhD to understand it. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. That's the story. If you've bathed in the blood of Jesus, if you've washed yourself in the blood of Jesus, you are completely clean. And therefore, get off your pride horse Stop thinking that you're the most important person in the world and start serving other people. Pretty simple, isn't it? I've got two phrases of you tonight. First one is this, completely cleansed. Completely clean. Complete cleansing. If you've bathed yourself in the blood of Jesus, what did he say, verse 10? He is completely clean. You're fully forgiven. You're perfectly purified. You've been washed as white as snow. And I hope you've done that. 
I hope you're not sitting here tonight thinking that you can cleanse yourself, that you can wash yourself, that you're good enough, uh, you pray enough, you read the Bible enough, you're a good enough person that you can cleanse yourself. You can't. It's totally humbling to come to the, the cross and to sit there and say, if I don't allow Jesus to wash me, I have no part with him. Why is it there's something deep inside us that wants to contribute in some way? There's no other way to be cleansed but to sit at the foot of the cross. And it's humbling because it forces us to face up to our sins, doesn't it? Yeah, in some ways, the disciples had it easy. They knew they were dirty. Looked down at their feet and they would know that they needed to be cleansed, washed. But for us, you know, the, this thing called sin that is supposed to be uh, riddled throughout our hearts, it's hard to see, isn't it? Not really. I look in the mirror and I go... I'm a liar, I'm greedy, I'm lustful, I'm selfish, I'm proud. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. I often wonder whether we, we spend enough time on our knees before God just saying, Lord, what a wretch I am, how filthy I am, how dirty I am. Do you ever do that? Until you've done it, you won't actually appreciate the glory of the cross. At my church in London, this is not about anybody in this room tonight. At my church in London, I had a guy in my Bible study. He used to meet week in, week out, week in, week out. And nobody loved him enough to tell him he had really bad body odor. So I did. Sat down with him over a cup of coffee and said, do you know that you know, you've got bad body odor? And he didn't know. He said it just changed his life because, you know, he could actually do something about it. And people started treating him differently. And I'm here lovingly telling you that you've got a sinful heart. You're a filthy, dirty, wretch of a sinner. And so am I. It's the most loving thing you can do to acknowledge your sin and then run to your saviour. Because Jesus says, if you let him wash you, what's the word in verse 10? You are completely clean. Your sins are not held against you. You're fully forgiven and you're white as snow. How are you feeling right now? You ever that feeling where, you know, you've, you've done a hard afternoon's work in the garden and or in the backyard and you're sweaty and you're grimy and you're dirty and you're filthy and you know that you smell and you go and stand in the shower. You know that feeling when you're standing in the shower and the, the water's pouring over you and you, you're lathering on the soap and it smells nice and it smells clean, it smells fresh. And after sort of half an hour just in the shower, you walk out and you feel like a new, clean person, don't you? And the truth of the gospel is that 
That's how you should feel every minute of every day because that's how God sees you as clean and fresh and fully forgiven. You should feel that because of the blood of Jesus. There's a but here, isn't there? What did Jesus say in verse 10? One who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. Why does he add that bit? I think he's saying if you've bathed in the blood of Jesus, you are completely clean. He's paid for everything, past, present, and future. But as you go through this life daily, your feet get dirty, you stuff up again, you mess up, you're not perfect. It's that daily coming back to Jesus saying, I've done it again. I've got Britney Spears going through my head. Oops, I've done it again. I failed again. It's that daily asking Jesus for forgiveness. It's not going back to your conversion every day. It's not being redeemed every day. You're totally cleansed in Jesus. But the daily discipline of washing your feet, the daily discipline of cleansing your soul and asking for forgiveness is good for you, isn't it? You need it. Did you do it? When's the last time you sat down privately? Sat down with your Savior and just said, I'm dirty again. But the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. Do you ever do that? Because when you do do it, what you do, you love Jesus even more, you know. Because the precious blood of Jesus becomes even more precious to you. You think, I keep on stuffing up and he keeps on forgiving me. Who would do that? Who would love me to the end like that? And the answer is Jesus. You're completely clean. And if you are completely clean, what does he ask of you? What does he want from you? The answer is this, selfless serving, sacrificial, humble, selfless serving of your Savior. Verse 14 says it so clearly, if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. So what does Jesus want from us? Does he want that you know, once a year that I take off my shirt and I, I get down in front of Ian Campbell and I take off his shoes and I take off his socks and I, I, I get down on my hands and knees and I wash his feet? That would be a, a moving, beautiful thing to do. But in many ways... That bar's far too low, isn't it? That's far too easy to do. It's not that demanding. What does he ask of you? It's more than just a once a year washing. It's a daily attitude. A daily attitude of how can I serve other people? How can I serve my Savior by serving others? How can I wash other people's feet? How can I humble myself to, to, to stoop low before other people and wash them? You know, I've quoted Philippians 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
but took on the form of a servant. What's the verse that comes before that? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who became a servant. You see, we're called to love as Jesus loved, to love to the end, to love to the nth degree. We're called to, to serve as Jesus served, humbly, sacrificially, selflessly. That's the mark that you've bathed in the blood of Jesus. Do you remember the British sitcom, Are You Being Served? Anyone old enough to remember that? I love a good British sitcom. It's still on. There you go, you can still watch it. Go on to iView and look at Are You Being Served? So bad. What was the name of the, what was the, name of the department store? Remember? Grace Brothers. Grace Brothers. And there was, there was Captain Peacock. He used to be the number one on the floor. He used to control everything. He was the one who prayed around like a peacock. And then you had Miss Brahms and Mrs. Sloker and Mr. Lucas and Mr. No one, you're too young. You're sitting there going, what is he on about? And if you watch this program, all these people were, they were just thinking about themselves rather than serving the customers gossiping amongst each other. And you know, sometimes that's a bit like church, isn't it? Just serving ourselves, making sure that we're okay. We're the customers. And the catchphrase from that program is, are you being served? We're Grace Brothers, so are you being served? And shouldn't that be the catchphrase of the church? We're grace brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus. There's no Captain Peacock here. How can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I carry your burdens? How can I wash your feet this week? What can I do for you? What's that going to look like at 645 Church? What's the way that you could serve each other? You could turn up early. You could turn up at quarter past six. Turn up at six o'clock and pray. And then come and say, okay, what can I do to make 6.45 happen? Is, is there Bibles that need to be stuffed? Do I need to stack some chairs? Do I need to get some food? I, I'm here to serve. What can I do? After church, you know, rather than hanging around with all the people that you like and all the people that you talk to every single week, you could actually talk to the person who's standing over there by themselves or the person that you find hard to talk to. You might give up a Tuesday morning if you have Tuesday morning free to come and look after the kids so the women can study the Bible to serve them in that way. You might bake a meal for someone in need. You might offer to pray with somebody. You might just say, look... What can I do to help you? How can I serve you? Can I just say that Rachel and I have been incredibly well served by this church, by you guys. The meals that came, the prayers that were prayed, that's extraordinary. It's a mark of humility, a mark of of, of Jesus at work in you. Thank you. But please don't treat church as though you're the customer. We're here to serve, aren't we? If you've bathed in the blood of Jesus, 
we sacrificially, selflessly, humbly serve other people. It's pretty simple, isn't it? What does Jesus say in verse 17? Let's finish with this verse. If you know these things, you're blessed. Look at those last four words, if you, if you do them. There's no point about knowing about the blood of Jesus or knowing about serving other people unless you actually put it into action. Unless you actually say, I want to do that. How can I serve my Savior this week? Let me pray. Let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer it's Christ we're serving. Lord Jesus, we're amazed again at your humility, your sacrifice, that you would shed your blood for us. I want to say thank you for that. Lord, I do pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would fan the flame, that we might have this humble, selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted attitude. And that we do that joyfully and gladly. In Jesus' name.